I host another show called Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. If you are in a difficult relationship and you want to know how to navigate that relationship, you know, how to respond, how to communicate with somebody that might be difficult, head over to loveandabuse.com. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you learn how to deal with difficult people and tackle life's challenges without compromising who you are. And how fast can I say this? This show consists of my personal opinion and is meant for informational purposes only. Always take a professional for your mental health and well-being. <laughs> That's the fastest I can do it without uh, modifying it electronically. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm going to get right into today's subject, which is... This person wrote and said, thank you for your podcast. It is most helpful to me. I have a question for you. Do you have any content that discusses how to deal with family and friends that you've confided in that have watched you through the painful times and supported you when you wanted to end a difficult relationship? Then you accepted that person back and um, they, the person, I guess she's talking about her husband, accepted his accountability and agreed to individual and couples therapy and um, let me see, this time I'm, when we split up, I was beginning to file paperwork for a divorce, I think. And now he doesn't want me to leave. And what you said happened. I had to show him that I was going to leave. And just a little side note, uh, she probably listens to my other show, Love and Abuse, where I talk about, well, I probably mentioned it here too, but where I talk about how if somebody doesn't think they're doing anything wrong and they're continuing to be hurtful and they're continuing to blame you for all the problems in your relationship, whatever relationship that is, they're probably not going to change until they uh, feel the accountability so strongly that they have no choice but to change if they want to keep the relationship. And so I've said, especially with emotionally abusive relationships, they may not change until they realize that there is a true loss and that loss is the, is the other person. That's, this is what I've seen 99 out of a hundred times, 90, 999 out of a thousand times. I've seen this so often where someone uh, believes they're, they're righteous and they want to dictate how the relationship goes and they are, they're calling the shots, they're controlling they're hurtful and, and sometimes passive aggressive ways, sometimes overt ways. And they continue being that way, no matter how much the other person is sad by their behavior, no, ma no matter how much the other person is confused by their behavior, behavior, I can't say it. And no matter how much the other person um, cries and says, why are you doing this? It doesn't seem to phase the person that is being hurtful or controlling doesn't seem to phase them no matter how much the other person the victim of this hurtfulness and controlling and emotionally abusive behavior no matter how much they see the victim of their behavior suffering they don't seem to change the the victim can say and i'm just using victim for brevity but the victim can say you're hurting me when you do this it hurts me why would you do this and then the perpetrator of that behavior can say, you know, I'm not hurting you. You're the one who's choosing to feel hurt, or you're the one who's not doing what you're supposed to do, or you're this, you're that. Always pointing the finger, always focused on them. 
trying to make them feel bad, trying to make them feel guilty. This is everything I talk about over at Love and Abuse, and I'm mentioning it here now because this letter kind of goes along the same line, or it does go very much along the same lines, where somebody is doing behaviors that is hurtful to the other person and definitely hurtful to the relationship, but they're not changing. If my partner Asha started hurting me in this way, I would say, hey, would you please stop doing that? And I would hope that she would stop. And if she didn't stop, I would ask her, why are you still doing it? It's hurtful to me. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. And it's not, uh, it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me attracted to you. Why are you still doing that behavior? If she said, it's, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's your problem. You have to deal with it. I'm not doing anything wrong. You are. Why don't you change? And then it would be confusing to me and I would reflect on my own behaviors and try to think, okay, how can I change? What can I do to change? Maybe there is something that I'm doing. And then after some reflection, I would either come to a conclusion like, okay, maybe I do need to make some changes or maybe I don't. And she really is being hurtful. By the way, this is a dilemma that victims of emotional abuse go through is that they believe that uh, maybe they can change. Maybe the other person is right about them and that no matter what they do, it's wrong. Let me just clear this up. If you have been suffering in a relationship and no matter what you do is wrong, you're not, I'm 99% sure of this, you're probably not the problem. If everything you do is wrong, I'm just going to say it. You're not the problem. I'm going to go 100% on this. If everything you do is wrong, you're not the problem. Now, the emotionally abusive person is going to say, that's me. They think everything that I do is wrong. (laughs) So yes, things like that can be turned around on you. But the big difference is, which I also talk about on the other show, is that the victim of abusive, hurtful, controlling, manipulative behavior will reflect and ask themselves, what can I do differently? The perpetrator of that behavior doesn't do that. They don't reflect. They don't think about what else they can do. They just know they're right. And they're going to keep moving forward like a steamroller. And if you just happen to be sitting there, you'll get crushed. So the problem is that the perpetrator of such behavior doesn't want to change. They don't think they have to. It's not enough to see someone else suffer for them to change. I'm I'm also going to say it doesn't mean they're inherently a bad person. It just means they learned inappropriate ways to communicate and connect with people. Now, that doesn't mean everyone is like that. Some people are bad. They're bad for you. They're bad for themselves and Bad is a subjective term we could apply any definition to here, but bad in the sense that they are hurtful and they don't even realize what they're doing to other people, or maybe they do, some do, and uh, they don't even realize what they're doing to themselves. They are doing behaviors that are ruining their own life and they don't even know it. I speak from experience. (laughs) I've done this. I've been this person and it is... uh, very clear to me what I used to do and how I screwed up almost every good relationship in my life because of the way I was. 
I'm in the best relationship of my life because I finally took responsibility because I finally understood what I was doing. And so when we look at a relationship where one person seems to be suffering all the time and being blamed and feeling guilty and feeling responsible and they're trying to do their best to change, to accommodate the other person and the other person thinks they can do no wrong, then I can say, again, I'm 99% there, sometimes 100%, depending on the situation. I can say that the person who believes they can do no wrong is wrong. And they need to stop doing that behavior to balance out the relationship. Because one's on their high horse and the other one's trying to pick themselves off the ground all the time. It's like a continuous thing for some people. For others, it might happen sometimes. In fact, this person in this email said, you know, like 25% of the time he's like that. So she invited him back into the relationship and she said that, you're right, Paul, Uh, he wouldn't have changed unless there was the threat of me leaving. She didn't use those words, but that's basically what it comes down to. People need to know you're serious. When you want somebody's behavior to stop, They need to know you're serious if they won't stop the behavior. They need to know you're serious. I will not accept this anymore. I will not tolerate it anymore. And you have to imagine them saying, well, what are you going to do about it? Because I'm not changing. So what are you going to do about it? When you see the situation that way, where the other person says, well, I'm not changing. So what are you going to do about it? If you have a toxic or a very difficult relationship in your life, what comes to mind when I ask you that question? What are you going to do about it then? They're not changing. So what are you going to do about it? In this case, this person said, I'm not going to continue this relationship or whatever she said at the time. And that was enough for him to say, oh, you're serious. You really want me to stop this behavior. I guess for the first time I will reflect on it. I guess for the first time, I will admit that I need therapy or at least, and unfortunately this happens, I'll go through the motions to get help. Hopefully it's real. So let me continue this message. I went off on the tangent there because of what she said. She said that uh, he wouldn't have taken it seriously unless I was serious, unless I said this needs to stop or else. So good for her. And that's, that's tough to do. I get it. It's tough to say, look, this needs to stop or else. Because you know there's going to be a conversation or some sort of action after that that may lead to something big, something changing. And change can be scary when you've been doing a certain thing for a long time, like a relationship. So anyway, she goes on to say, We are better than good most of the time. We love one another deeply. I can leave, but I've decided to give him another chance because I believe we can be better or he can be better and we can be better. I believe that saying too little too late isn't commitment. How do I handle my friends, my family, my kids that know how badly he's hurt me over the years? And um, I guess they're almost adult kids. I'm embarrassed and I didn't think that I'd be willing to try again. I don't want people, especially my kids, to lose respect for me. I don't want them to think that I'm dumb for staying. It's going to be a hard road ahead for my husband with any of them, but I realize that's not really the issue at hand. 
I'm seeing a new therapist and we are seeing his therapist as a couple and uh, I will certainly get guidance from them, but I wanted to suggest this being a topic if you hadn't considered it for the podcast. I can't imagine others haven't had to deal with this while reconciling. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. It is an excellent question because yes, how often do we talk about um, reconciling, getting back together and some of the challenges that come with it? Okay. You told your friends, you told your family, you told your near adult kids. Now, how are they going to see you? So here's how I, I look at this. In fact, I just answered a question in the Facebook group, the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group on Facebook. I answered a question similar to this, and so it's good timing. Uh, so the person in that group who asked a similar question, now that we're getting back together, what do I tell people? Yeah, th this is where I would go with this. I would, first of all, uh, own your decisions as an adult. Know that you can change your mind anytime before and after you did. You know, I, I'm in this committed relationship and I can change my mind. I have the right as an adult to change my mind. And also be okay giving someone a second chance knowing that you can change your mind. This is all personal right now. I haven't gotten into the other people yet, but I think you have to adopt this philosophy, this line of thinking when you're dealing with decisions that you've made that you know could backfire on you. You're an adult. You can make decisions that, yes, may backfire on you and own that. This is how you make good decisions in your life. You own the decisions that you make, whether they're bad or good. Well, I'm making this decision. It could blow up in my face, but I'm going to try it anyway. There's nothing wrong with that. I do it daily. <laughs> I do it a lot, at least in business. I do it a lot where I'll say, you know, what? I'm going to make this decision and uh, it, it may not work, but I'm going to try it anyway and see what happens. Oh, it blew up. Okay. I'll make another decision or I'll change my direction or I'll go a completely opposite direction because that didn't work out at all. And now I'm embarrassed. It's never that big, but you know what I mean? It's, it's something that you own. You just say, yeah, I made that decision. So this is something internal. First of all, I think you have to be very comfortable internally and say, yes, I'm making this decision. And yes, I know it could blow up in my face. I mean, if you feel enough to make the decision, then you obviously have enough of your criteria fulfilled, enough data to make that decision in the direction that you're making it. If you told me, well, I'm 1% sure that he might change, then I would say, why are you making that decision? That's not a very big uh, percentage to make a decision on. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. I would just probably grill you, <laughs> ask you questions. You're only 1%. If you said, well, I'm 60% sure it'll work out, then great. That's a, that's a good number. Those are good odds. Let's try it. But you have to be willing to change your mind again. You have to be willing to own that. You have to be confident that you're going to give something a chance. And if it doesn't work out, you are willing to change your mind and change course again. And so what what the world thinks? Again, I'm, I'm doing this as the in internal means of making decisions. Externally is what everyone else thinks. People's 
thoughts, their feelings, their judgments. It's That's still out there. That's their stuff. Your stuff is dealing with their stuff. So internally, you have to learn how to deal with their thoughts, their feelings, and their judgments. So how do you get comfortable with that? You have to get comfortable in yourself first. I'm making this decision. It is a decision that may blow up in my face, but I believe if it doesn't, it's going to work out nice. It's going to work out wonderfully. If you really are deeply in love with each other, if he really is willing to look inward and reflect and admit that some of the stuff he was doing, or a lot of it, is problematic and is hurtful, if he admits that, and he says, I don't want to do that anymore to you, I don't feel good doing that to you, then there's a a chance, so why not? I'm all about giving somebody a second chance, rarely a third chance, and definitely not a fourth chance. The third chance is the, that's where I draw the line. I think that is my, my, my boundary. If they cross that last line, the third chance, and they mess that up, why am I putting myself through it? I won't do that. In fact, I cannot think of any time in my life I ever gave somebody more than three chances. I've been very fortunate enough not having to run into people where I have to give them chance after chance. Uh, Oh yes, I have (laughs) now that I think about it, but um, the second chance always worked out for me. So the third chance, if that came up, that would be a problem. Why I have to give you a third chance. We have to go through this. We have to talk about this. This is why sometimes it surprises me still when people write into me and they say, my so-and-so lies all the time, all the time. And I think, wait a minute, after the first lie, wouldn't there be a, hey, you can't lie to me again, conversation. After the second lie, wouldn't there be another question or conversation where they say, hey, you lied to me again, this can't happen. If this happens again, then I I know I can't trust you and I can't be in a relationship that I can't trust the person I'm with. That would be, you know, where I'm starting to draw, draw the line. And then the third lie should be, the conversation of, okay, you you can't not lie to me, so I can't have you in my life. Now, this is me, and I'm not putting anyone down for doing this. I know there are a lot of people in situations where everything else is great, and the lies come, or the deception, or the hurtful behavior, all this stuff comes, and you're already in it deep. In many ways, you're committed. So, I'm not, definitely, I'm not putting you down for that. I'm just helping to instill a sense of strong self-worth inside you. Strong self-worth tells the world, I won't accept behavior that puts me down. I won't accept behavior that makes me feel unimportant to you. I mean, you have every right not to like me or see me as worthy, but I won't accept behavior that pushes that perception of me down my throat. I won't accept it. So if you want to lie to me, that's your choice, but you won't last long. If you want to belittle me, if you want to insult me, if you want to bully me, it won't last long. First strike, second strike, third strike, you're out. I think that's a nice philosophy to live by because it keeps the toxic people out of your life. But again, I say that having different resources than other people. 
I am willing to walk away. I'm willing to lose money. I'm willing to lose my home. I've been at the bottom of the barrel and I'm willing to go through all of this for my self-respect and to own my self-worth. And I don't say that because I would ever want to do that again. It's scary. I don't like it. <laughs> it sucks. But I am willing to do that if somebody crosses the line so much and I have no choice but to do that because I want to remove them from my life because that external force is coming down on me hard and I don't like it. I won't accept somebody continually chipping away at me. So I'm willing to take bigger risks with my own life to get away from them. And not everyone's prepared to do that. Not everyone has the resources to do that. To do that. And some people have kids and some people have other obligations and some people are very stuck in certain situations. So when I talk about things like this, when I'm talking about relationships like this, if you're in one or if you've been in one, please understand I'm not putting you down because I can definitely empathize because I've been there. I've been in a situation where I refused to uh, put myself in harm's way and continued being in toxic situations, believing it was safer and easier to stay in that toxic situation then put myself in harm's way. So I, I would choose the lesser of two evils as I saw it. What ends up happening over time, as you build your self-worth, and as you build so much respect for yourself that you refuse to allow disrespect in, you disallow that kind of behavior. You disallow those kind of toxic situations into your life. So not everyone is ready to do that. Not everyone wants to do that. Some people will live what, with what they have because it's good enough and they're surviving and maybe they have kids and their kids are surviving or maybe they need money or don't have money and that's how they get through life. And if that's you, more power to you. Stay strong. I know that's difficult. And I also know that when you work on yourself and believe your own worth, believe that you are valuable and believe that you are worth standing up for and worth fighting for mentally, maybe even physically, but I'm not talking about that. It can happen. But when you know this about yourself, when you feel this about yourself, you're willing to give certain things up to make sure that your integrity and character stay intact and that you did everything to protect yourself. Protecting yourself means showing the world that you are worthy of not being mistreated. You are worthy of it. When you can show the world that I will not accept that treatment, they treat you differently because they're either going to stick around and continue trying to treat you that way, but that wall of um, protection, that wall, that huge boundary wall that you put up, they're never going to be able to cross it. And if they do, you won't put up with it. If they try to, you won't put up with it. So not everyone is in that space. And to get into that space takes a lot of work. Sometimes it takes a lot of sacrifice. Sometimes it means losing something important to you to get yourself back. Because that's what happens is we start replacing ourselves with another version of ourselves that we're not as comfortable with, we're not as happy with, or... And it can get this far, we downright hate. If you get to the point where you hate yourself, that's when you know something needs to change. I mean, 
You should know this way before then. But we don't want to replace who we are with somebody else, especially when somebody else makes us believe that we're not good enough as is. They need to accept you as you. If they don't like it, they should go find someone else. If somebody can't accept you for who you are, then they are the problem. If you do things that they don't like, that's fine. They have every right not to like the stuff you do. They have every right to comment on that stuff. Hey, I don't like that you're doing that. And you have every right to continue doing it knowing you could lose that relationship or they could try to control you, try to change your mind. And there's uh, conversations that will be had when that happens. And conversations are also welcome. But what if they didn't accept who you are? What if they choose not to? And instead of honoring themselves and either walking out the door or telling you, hey, look, I can't accept this behavior. You need to change. Otherwise, I can't stick around, which is also fair. What if they instead try to control you, try to manipulate you, try to make you feel bad, try to make you feel guilty? All those thoughts and feelings and judgments that come out of them to show you that you're not acceptable. You're not worthy as is. If they do something like that, you have a choice at that moment. You may not see the choices in that moment or feel comfortable making that choice in that moment. But when you own who you are and you feel comfortable in who you are, then it's a lot easier to say, no, that's not right. Either you accept me as who I am because, you know, you love me or you care about me or you don't. But if you don't accept me, you can't do this other behavior to try to change me. You either accept me or you don't. And if you don't, then what it comes down to is really not my problem. Your inability to accept me is not my problem. So make up your mind. I'm <laughs> just kind of making up this scenario, but I want to make sure that you're not replacing who you really are with somebody else, which is a fabrication. You're making something up to appease someone else. You don't want to make up who you are to somebody else unless, and this is my only caveat here, unless it improves your life, your life, you're happier, you feel better, and it improves the relationship and everyone's happy as a whole. And what I mean by that is, let's just say that some of you say, hey, look, I can't stand that you smoke all the time. I always use a smoking example because there are two different sides typically. And uh, the smoker is going to say, but I love smoking and I don't want to quit. So either accept me as a smoker or get out of here. Let's just say that was the conversation. I don't want to get out of here. I love you. I, I just don't want you to smoke. Well, that's too bad. That's who I am. That's who I'm always going to be. Too bad. So the other person says, okay, fine. I, I, I don't want to be with a smoker. Live your life happily and uh, smoke all you want, but I can't be around. What? You're leaving? Are you trying to manipulate me? No, I'm, I, I want you to do what you want to do. This isn't a threat. It's me honoring myself because I don't want to be around smoke. I don't like the smell. So do your thing. I don't want to change you. I don't want to control you. I am going to do my thing and you're going to do your thing. So the smoker says, oh, gee, you know, I really love this person. And 
I, I have thought about quitting or maybe they haven't, but maybe I should think about quitting because this relationship, it, it's more important to me than smoking. And that's a personal decision, but this person, the smoker may come to that decision. This relationship is more important to me than smoking. And, um, I really don't need to smoke and I know that it's harmful to me, but I keep doing it. I know it's harmful, but I keep doing it. Maybe I should quit. Maybe this relationship is more important and it's a good thing to quit. And so they quit, then they get back together and maybe it works out or maybe it doesn't. Maybe the person who smoked feels like they were coerced into it. And so they start smoking behind their back and then it turns into a whole thing again and the relationship fails. But that's not my point. (laughs) My point is the person who smoked, uh, let's just say that they have been thinking about quitting and they quit and then they these two people get back together and life is happily ever after. That can happen. This is when there's a benefit to changing, not necessarily for someone else, but because the other person is inspiring them to do so. So someone who smokes, who chooses to quit, can see that other person as inspiring them to do so. It doesn't have to be because that other person coerced me or controlled me. It can be because they appreciate that person's perspective and they have now adopted that perspective themselves. Hey, you know, it is healthier. Maybe I should do that. And to all the smokers out there, if you smoke, I'm not telling you to do it or not do it. I'm just using this as an example where some people are polar opposites. So this is what can happen. You can have a conversation like that and the person doing something that the other person doesn't like They might not accept them for who they are, but this is where I have the four choices or the four perspectives. You either accept the situation or the person and you stick around or you, you reject that other person, but stick around or you accept the other person and leave or you reject the other person or situation and leave. What is all that? That is a way I uh, make decisions when I can't come to one. And it's usually about a person. Can I accept them and be okay with it? That's what I call accept and stay. I'm going to stick with my points. I'm going to stick with them. I'm going to stay in the situation and I'll be accepting of it. That means I can't complain. That means I've chosen to accept them as who they are. So if they are a smoker, for example, I can't say, oh, you're smoking again? Because that would be rejecting them, but sticking around. If you reject someone or the situation and you stick around, then believe me, all you'll do is complain. All you'll do is find reasons to be upset. That's why I like these four choices. Make one of four choices. I'm going to accept them and stick around, which means I have to be okay with it. Or I'm going to reject them and stick around, which means I won't be okay with it but I'm going to complain a lot or I'm going to give them that look. They're going to see me upset or I can accept it and leave, which means, Hey, that's who they are. And I don't want to stick around because they don't want to change. And that's fine. I accept that and I'll move on. Or you can reject it and leave and say, I can't accept this. I'm going to leave. When it comes to making a decision about someone else, especially something that someone is doing that you don't like or a job that you're in that you don't like, one of the four choices has to be made. That's my philosophy. I make one of these four choices. 
accept and stay, reject and stay, accept and leave, reject and leave. And I'll give you one guess which one will make your life the most miserable. If you said reject and stay, you are correct. <laughs> you are correct. It will be miserable to reject a situation or a person and stick around. It makes you miserable. That's why I love the four choices because once you make one of them, you are taking responsibility for your life. This is all about personal responsibility. I'm going to take personal responsibility for what happens next because I've chosen one, two, three, or four. So let me actually answer the question that was presented to me. Person wants to know, what do I tell my friends and my family? My, the whole first half hour, yeah, the full, whole first half hour that I've been talking to you and especially to this person was strengthening you from the inside out first. Because now we have to deal with the outside in. Now we have to deal with the externals. The externals are the people that know the decisions you've made and have made their own thoughts, have provided their own judgments. They are, they are dealing with their own stuff about what happened. They probably care about you very much. And now they're looking at you at the decision that you made to let this person back in that you told them was so awful. So keep this mental and emotional strength inside of you as you share what you're going to share with them, which is, I have decided to give this person another chance in my life. And I know it sounds like a very dumb idea, and I realize that it could blow up in my face. Remember I said that before, it could blow up in my face, but I'm willing to take that chance because if it does work out, then it could be great. And yes, He's done and said stupid things. He's done and said hurtful things. I know this. And I finally feel good enough in myself to be able to address that if it happens again. Because if it happens again, and this is an important part, they need to know, the person you're telling, they need to know what you're going to do about it if it happens again. Which means you have to be prepared to do that thing or things that you're going to do if it happens again, because if it happens again, those people are going to be watching. So approaching someone saying, if it happens again, this is what I'm going to do. And then you follow through if it happens again. So what I mean by that is they need to know that you have a plan. I'm going to let this person back into my life and he's not going to have it easy. Because I am now aware of those behaviors. And when I see those behaviors, they will not be tolerated. I will make sure that I put him in his place or whatever your words are. I will make sure that that doesn't ever happen to me again. Because if it does, he's not coming back. So this is his opportunity. I am giving him a second chance. And this is something that you're teaching your kids, by the way. I'm giving him a second chance because he is trying to become a better person. He is trying to improve himself. He knows he did wrong. But mom, you said all this stuff and he didn't believe he did wrong then. And maybe he's just lying because this is what you're going to hear. Maybe he's just lying to get you back. Don't disagree with them. Say, yes, you're right. He could be. 
And I'm going to be very conscientious of that because I don't want somebody like that in my life. What you're doing is you're telling them you have new values now. You have new boundaries now. And you can also say, I made some mistakes while I was in that relationship. I allowed certain things to happen. I allowed hurtful things to happen. I allowed him to do these things to me, which is probably not true at all because it's not like you allowed them. You probably were very resilient and very tolerant of bad behavior, hoping he would finally change, and he didn't. So it had to come to a breaking point. And when you reach that breaking point, what I like to call the threshold, you've reached your threshold, you've had enough. And then after a while, you had a conversation, and it's a lot easier to talk to somebody when you're out of a relationship because you're not in each other's crosshairs anymore. You're not in each other's uh, trigger zone. Like when you get triggered when you see something or say something or they say something. And when you're not in that situation with all these old associations, then you don't get into the same conversations and so on and so on. And so you're not in that same environment, which helps you clear your head. The fog lifts and you can see things a lot more clearly. And that's something else you can also convey. I see things clearly now. I didn't see these things before. So believe me when I say he's walking on thin ice now. I want you to know that, you know, if you're talking to your children, I want you to know that he's walking on thin ice and he knows it. I'm going to make sure that he never crosses that line with me again. So what they're seeing in you when you talk like this, when you present what's happening to them, this situation, they're seeing a strength inside you that maybe they didn't see before. Maybe they didn't know it was in there, or maybe they did know it was in there, but it disappeared because you were in this relationship for so long. But they need to see that strength. They need to know that you, as an adult, can take care of yourself. And that is good role modeling, because you said in your message, I don't want my kids to think I'm dumb. I don't want people outside to think I'm just falling for this again. When you show up as confident in who you are and you feel comfortable wearing your own skin and you're comfortable making decisions and you're also comfortable saying, this is what's going to happen if he ever tries to pull this crap again. This is what's going to happen. And I won't allow the other behaviors that I saw before. Now, it's also probably a good idea to say, you know, he has apologized and maybe that's not good enough. He has said that he's willing to change. He's now going to therapy and maybe that's not good enough or maybe it is. Time will tell. So I'm sharing this with you to convey yourself in a way that doesn't sound like, I know what you're thinking. I'm so stupid and I, you know, I understand and I hear that and I, I feel kind of dumb and maybe I shouldn't let him in. I don't know, but I just want to see what happens. There's a complete difference. It's night and day how you tell someone else what you're going to do next, how you feel now. Because if they hear that kind of lack of confidence and lack of uh, surety in yourself and even a somewhat fragile sense of self-worth, if they hear any of that, then it's likely their, their fear of what happened before will happen again because they don't see someone taking charge of their life. So I think it's important to convey that to people, that you have this strong sense of self-worth, 
and you are confident that if you see these behaviors again, you'll stop them. And if you can't stop them, you'll get out of the situation or you'll kick him out or whatever, and you'll be fine. I think they need to see that in you. Now, I say that with the understanding that you don't have to explain anything to anyone. <laughs> you, this sounds like my fiance, she would say this. You don't have to tell anyone anything. Well, it's not their business. <laughs> but I understand that people are going to ask questions. You're going to be under the spotlight in a, in a way, in the interrogation light. They're going to say, well, why are you going back with him? I thought you told us that he was this awful person. And again, my approach is not to disagree with them. Not, not to say, yeah, but you just say, yeah, he was. Yes, that's exactly what happened. What I told you was all true, and I will not tolerate that again. It's a very yes and philosophy they do in improv. Improvisational comedy uses that, and uh, I apparently have been using that for years <laughs> since I was a child and didn't even realize it because I was such a people pleaser. But what it is is you are not putting up resistance. So when somebody comes along and says something that they believe you're going to resist, but you don't, you actually stay in alignment with them, then they'll know that you know. They'll know that you understand the risks. They'll know that you have thought about this. So when they come along and they say, yeah, but what about that time he did this to you? That was awful. You're going to say, and this is my opinion, you can say, you're right. It was awful. And if that ever happens again, this is going to happen. This is what I'm going to do about it. This is what I'm going to say. And he will have no choice but to comply because if he doesn't, he's out of there or whatever your words are. So that's my approach when you have to explain to other people about the decisions that you're making, not that you have to explain anything to anyone. Because this is your life. You're an adult. You can make decisions. You can change your mind. You can make commitments. You can say, that didn't work out. I'm going to do something else. And then you can say, I'm going to try again. It's your life. You can do all of that. But I understand real life involves talking to other people and sometimes having to explain your actions and not wanting to look dumb and wanting to be a good role model for your kids and showing them right from wrong and like I said before, when you give somebody a second chance, that's also good role modeling as long as you follow it up with, hey, they only get a second chance <laughs> or they get one more chance after this and that's it. And then you follow through. That's good role modeling. So if you're worried about your kids learning the wrong thing or, you know, you don't want to show your kids that they have to tolerate abuse. And the good news is you put an end to it, whatever a situation was going on with you. You said that it was like partial emotionally abusive and partial other stuff. Whatever was happening in your relationship, you're showing your kids, no, I won't tolerate that. I won't tolerate that. And that shows them that they shouldn't tolerate those things either. And then you're in a situation where, okay, I'm going to bring this person back that put me through this stuff, but they only get one more chance. Or I'm going to put a stop to it if they do anything like that. And they need to feel that too. So if this is more about your kids and even your friends and trying to show them that you got this, you have to feel it. I got this. And then they can choose to believe you or not. They may not, 
but they have to see the confidence in you that you'll put a stop to anything that is harmful to you. And those that love you and appreciate you are going to honor you honoring yourself. They're going to honor you and your position and the decision that you made. And uh, they may not like it, but the way I define love is that you support someone's happiness, even if the decisions that make them happy, you don't agree with. So your friends and family, hopefully, they will love you by showing you they support your decisions, even if they disagree with them. And I also understand that they now know about your history. They know about his behaviors. So they have to see that you are extra vigilant about watching what happens to you next so that they don't feel they have to watch out for you. I hope that gives you something today. Thank you so much for writing. Stay strong. It sounds like you got this. It sounds like you might be able to handle this, but just in case, I hope something in here helped today. I appreciate you. Thank you for writing and thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons of the week, Lisa. Lisa's the first one. You are new, Lisa. Thank you for joining the patron program that helps to financially support the show. She had uh, the resources to give back and that's what she's doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And all these other patrons have been giving for a while. Christy, Adriana, Sandra, Holly, Deborah, Tammy. Thank you for your support. I am very grateful. And thanks again for joining Lisa and these patrons value the show and they had the means to give back. So if you value the show and you have the means to give back and you want to do that, (laughs) head over to moretob.com and there are options to do that over there. Thank you again, patrons. I am very grateful. And for a show on how to deal with the difficult relationship, probably a lot of those out there, head over to loveandabuse.com. That's where I talk about a whole lot more stuff that make relationships really difficult, more difficult than they need to be. Loveandabuse.com. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, I created a comprehensive program to help you stop doing that, stop being that way. It's for emotionally abusive people that want to change. It's over at healedbeing.com and uh, a lot of success stories over there. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And for my final thoughts, I remember a, um, a situation that happened with me and my fiance, Asha. It was about, I don't know, four years ago as of this recording. I had to stop one-on-one coaching. I was doing that for several years. And even before I started the podcast, I had done that for quite a number of years. And um, I had to stop because I was running out of time and I was trying to create programs and materials and create podcasts that uh, will reach many people instead of just one. So it was either a one-to-one model that, you know, that was my business right there, or a one-to-many model where I can reach the masses. And that's what I decided to do. I, I told Asha that I'm going to stop coaching. And her face, <laughs> she said, what? It's a major source of income. And why are you doing that? That's, that's scary to me. And it was one of those decisions that I knew I could fall on my face if I made it. I knew I could fall flat on my face because I didn't really have all of the um, materials in place to just start selling workbooks or courses or anything like that. I'm giving a little inside information here, but I decided to stop coaching because I needed the time to do that stuff. I didn't have any time. I was doing coaching all the time. People still ask me, do you coach? And unfortunately, I don't have time to do one-on-one coaching anymore because I am so involved 
with um, the online support groups and Facebook groups and online courses and all the workbooks I create and all the podcasts, like I said. So all of these things have now taken up my time. But when I first made the decision to stop one-on-one coaching, which was hard because I really appreciate and enjoy working with people, I told Asha and she was very scared. She said, well, that's that's a very bad idea. Or she said something like that. Why would you do that? That's something that you are, you know, that brings in money into the household. That is how you make a living. This is a conversation that we had to have. And again, I knew I could fall flat on my face. I knew that that could uh, stop that source of money from coming in and be really difficult to recover from if I never was able to sell anything ever again. There were all kinds of fears involved. And because of those fears, I could have said, okay, you're right. Let me go back to coaching. And, you know, I would have enjoyed it. But at the same time, I wouldn't have been able to do do all this other stuff. Maybe not even this podcast. There's just so much uh, time and energy goes into it. Even a one-hour coaching session took me three, sometimes four hours. Not that I'm doing overtime with them, but you know, it takes some time to prepare mentally, administratively. You know, looking stuff up, looking up their past and what we talked about, all kinds of things. Like um, just having the energy to do that, it changes um, how I how I am throughout my day. So if I have a coaching client coming up, I have to be mentally prepared for that. There's some prep work and then some wind down work that I need to do. So it, it took a lot and it didn't take it out of me. It just took a lot of time. And I remember Asha saying, you're always so jazzed after a coaching session. You're so happy. You feel energized. And I said, yes, people energize me. Even when we're talking about the hard stuff, They energize me because it's nice to be in a conversation with people. It's nice to be in rapport with them. It's nice to help them get through their challenges. And it did. It jazzed me up and it got me energized. But there was a point that I knew I needed to cut back, which I did. I started cutting back and then eventually stopping the one-on-one coaching and moving toward a one-to-many model. And the reason I'm saying this is because it was one of those decisions that could have failed pretty greatly. So it was a big choice. It was a big chance. And her telling me, you're crazy. You shouldn't do that. Was met with me responding, saying, I know. No resistance. He's just saying, I know it is crazy. You're right. And I wasn't trying to manipulate or anything like that. I agreed with her. It is crazy. I shouldn't do it. You're right. I shouldn't do it because this is a known source of income And it is something that is really helping us get through life, paying the bills. And I decided that I'm going to stop that. And that's a huge decision. But I owned it. And owning it meant that if it fails, I will get back up and do something else or go back to it. I could invite that back into my life and be okay. I had a plan. And I felt confident in that plan I conveyed to her. Hey, if this fails, don't worry about it. I'll just start coaching again. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what I was telling the person who wrote. Hey, if it fails, I'll get rid of him. (laughs) I didn't say that. But if it fails or he does this behavior again, he's out of here. I said something like that. 
And this is how I conveyed my decision. This is how I explained my decision. Yes, she's involved. She's part of my life. We are together. And yes, my decisions affect her. She saw my surety. She saw that I had a plan. She saw that I had um, a way to pick myself back up if I fell. I think that is probably the most important part of all this because some people are going to be afraid of the decisions that you make and you might have to explain to them why you're doing it and what your plan is. You may not always have a plan. You may not know what you're going to do. I've made those kind of decisions too. And I've decided that uh, sometimes you have to fall to figure out what you're going to do next. I'm not giving you this advice. I'm not saying that you have to follow this. I'm just saying that in my life, I've chosen to make decisions that I know could fail and that I would have to figure out what to do next if I did. But that helped me to make decisions instead of staying in indecision. That helped me make decisions. That's not the wisest thing to do. I agree. But I have to look at my present and what is happening today. And do I like it? Do I want it to continue? Do I want to continue this indefinitely? That's how I make decisions. Do I like what's happening today? Can I be okay with it? Can I be happy? Can I accept and stay? Or should I change things? Should I reject and do something else? Should I, should I tell myself, no, this isn't acceptable, so something needs to change? And then actually make the change whether I know what's going to happen or not. Whether I have a plan or not. Because I make those kinds of decisions too. Not so much anymore. <laughs> but I used to. I've made decisions like that in the past where I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to make this decision because I don't like the way things are going now. So now I'm going to make a different decision. I'm going to change course. And when I change course, we'll see where it takes me. We'll see what my new destination is. So far, so good. <laughs> I've fallen, but I've learned how to get back up. And I learned a lot because of the fall. This is what I've learned is that falling, or at least the act of getting to that place where you do fall, where you do fail, is a huge process in learning what you do need to do. And sometimes you don't know what you do need to do until you make the decision and you fail. So that can really mess with your head. And if you don't know what to do or you're afraid of what's going to happen, you may never make the decision, which means you will never learn what decision you need to make next. And that keeps you stuck. That's how you get in a rut. I don't like ruts. <laughs> I like to get out of the rut. And so hopefully you do too. Hopefully you don't stay in any rut but if you are in a rut, just as a reminder, keep an open mind. There are always things that come along and choices that we make that might start to help us take one step toward getting out of that rut, toward creating the life we want. Always take steps to grow and evolve because you are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. You are amazing.